Good morning. That was pretty good for a smaller crew today. Welcome to Northminster on this sunny, beautiful morning. If you can believe it, it is almost November. Almost November. Uh, I'm appreciative of you being here, whether you're here in person or online. We are honored by your presence and want to say a special word of welcome to any visitors we have with us today. We hope that you will participate in all aspects of our worship service, including communion. If you've not taken communion with us before, there are instructions in your order of worship, or just follow the people around you. They'll lead you in the right direction. There are gluten-free wafers available. If that's something you need, just get my attention when you come up for communion. And I hope you will all stay after worship for our uh, fellowship time out in the narthex. Have a snack, get something to drink, and just get to talk with people you may not have seen throughout the week. Several announcements for you. Uh, These are on the insert to your order of worship, which I would remind you is portable. You can take that home and put it on your fridge so you can keep up with what's happening at the church. Um, One thing I do want to mention that is not included there is that Wednesday, November 1st, that's this coming Wednesday, from 4 to 7 p.m., the Welton and Judy Gaddy Estate sale will be happening at their house, and Northminster members get to have first pick. So from 4 to 7, if you would like to come by, take a look at what's in the house. Um, And I was there the other day. There's a lot of stuff in the house. Um, we have a special time set aside for that. If you need the address, it is, I think, still in the directory, or contact the church office. Renee can get that to you. The house is on Myrtle. Um, but from 4 to 7 on Wednesday, if you need more information, talk to me. Uh, call the church office. Renee and I can help you out. Is there youth tonight, Beth? Yes. So we will have youth tonight. Do we have a meal? So if anybody would like to feed our teenagers this evening, yeah, they're they're pretty easy to feed. So if someone would like to take care of that, we'd appreciate it. And speaking of meals, uh, there is a sign-up outside my office for our agape meal. If that's new to you, it's a Thanksgiving feast that we share as a church family. I hope you will sign up for that. I also want to remind you, we had a wonderful adult Sunday school class this morning talking about Christian nationalism. That class will continue next Sunday and the Sunday after, leading up to the Strickland Lectures, um, which are November 11th and 12th. So I hope you will join us for that. And now with all of that said, let's take a deep breath together. This time that we have together is limited and it is special. And as we've talked about before, we are a society of overstimulated, overworked people. So we're not very good at stopping and slowing down and recognizing the place that we are in. So take a deep breath. If it helps you, close your eyes. And as you breathe in, breathe in the love, the quiet of this good place. As you breathe out, breathe out your to-do list, breathe out the homework that isn't done, breathe out the laundry that is never-ending. Breathe in again. Know that you are loved by God just as you are in this moment. And then if you would, please join me. No, I'm sorry. That's right. Please join me in our call to worship. God has called us together in community. And then we all read this line together to support one another in trouble. Yeah. 
and rejoice in times of happiness, with or without a strategic plan, with or without. We will love one another as we have been loved by God. Amen.
Hello, young friends. How are we today? Good. Did you know today is a special day? No. Anybody want to try to guess what today is? What do you think? It is Sunday. It's not Easter. Not for a while. It's not Christmas. It's not quite Halloween. No. No, it is a special day, I promise. What do you think? A special person, kind of. Today is what we call Reformation Sunday. That's kind of a big word, right? But Reformation to reform (coughs) means to make changes, to make changes and make things better. And I'm going to show you a picture of a guy who's really important on this day, and I want you to tell me if you know who he is. You ready? Okay. Anybody know who this is? Some of the adults are laughing. Anybody know who that is? Does he look friendly? No. This is a man whose name was Martin Luther. He actually wrote the song we just sang. And he started out his life as a Catholic priest, so a Catholic pastor. But he had some, some issues with the way the church was being run. He thought that they could do some things better. So you know what he did? He wrote all of his concerns, all the things he was worried about that he thought could be better, he wrote them all down. There were 95 of them. 95. Yeah, it was a lot. So he wrote all of his concerns down on a big, long, maybe a couple pieces of paper, and he took it to the church, and he nailed it up on a big bulletin board so that everybody would know, hey, here's what I think we could do better. How do you think that went? Do you think people liked it? No. No, no people were not very happy. And Martin got in quite a bit of trouble. And he eventually stopped being a Catholic priest entirely. And he went on to form and found the Lutheran Church. Have you ever heard of a Lutheran Church before? Well, we have some here in Monroe. And he started a really big word called the Protestant Reformation. Now, you guys don't really need to worry about that right now. But the important thing to know is that Martin Luther saw a problem and he tried to fix it. And he worked really, really hard to make things better. So I know he doesn't look very friendly, but he's really important. His name is Arthur. He might look like an Arthur, but he's really important in the church. And we celebrate not really him today, but the efforts that he made to make things better. So what I want you to think about is that he was just a normal guy. He wasn't anybody famous. He wasn't anybody particularly special. He didn't have any special powers. He was just a person. But he changed the entire church. He's part of the reason we're here today. So I want you to remember you have the ability, when you see something that isn't right or that you think could be better, you have the ability to make a difference. You have ability to help people. Even though, do any of you have special powers? No. Can any of you fly? No. Can any of you see through walls? No. Are any of you the president? No. Are any of you even grown-ups yet? No. So, you're not any of those things, but you still have the ability to help people and to make things better. And I want you to remember that this week. All right. Focus on me for just another minute. 
turn around, face the congregation. We're going to say our prayer. Sit up nice and straight and tall. Keep your hands to yourselves, please. You, I'll say the first line. You say it back to me nice and loud. Adults, you're welcome to join in. I see the face of God in you. The love of Christ comes shining through. The love of Christ comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. Oh holy child of God. Amen. You can go back to your seats now.
A reading from the Gospel according to Mark. Jesus asked, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. pray together. Oh God, we thank you for this time that we have together as a church family and as a community. It is a special thing to be part of a community, although it is, it's not always easy. So we ask that you remind us this week and as we go from this place of what a privilege it is, what a joy it is to be gathered here together. And also remind us that each of us is human. None of us has special powers, none of us can fly, none of us can walk through walls, but each of us can do something special and important for you. And remind us as well, when we get on each other's nerves, or we disagree, or we just can't see eye to eye on something, that your call to community is greater than our differences. Your call to be the body of Christ is more important than political ideologies. Your call to be your people is expansive. We all have a place here. We all have a seat at the table. Allow us to live out that message in all that we do and all that we say. We pray these things in the name of your Son, our Redeemer, Jesus the Christ. Amen.
reading from Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man named Elimelech in Bethlehem in Judea went to live in the county of Moab. He and his wife, Naomi, and his two sons, Malan and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judea. They went in the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. When they had lived there about 10 years, both Malan and Chilion also died, so that Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So they set out from the place where they had been living and went to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you mind security, that each of you in the house of a new husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? I am too old to have a husband, even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons. Would you then wait until they were grown? Would you refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. So Naomi said to Ruth, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you, to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I, be, I will be buried. May the Lord do thus to me and more as well, if even death parts me from you. Later on, Ruth was wed to Boaz. She conceived and bore a son. Then Ruth said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without next akin. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall to you, be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for I love you. I, who has more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David. A story of choosing the unlikely path. Thanks be to God. Pray together.
Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. May we hear a word from you today. Amen. I want to tell you about a couple of women you've probably never heard of. This is from a journalist, Joan Marie Natural. She's a, also a researcher in deaf history. The first one of these women is Annie Jump Cannon. She was a pioneering astronomer, hired as a woman computer. If any of you have seen the movie Hidden Figures, the woman in that movie, she was the same sort of thing, uh, at the Harvard Observatory in 1896. She's credited with cataloging 35,000 different stars revolutionized a system still used today to rank the heat of stars, and was the first woman to receive an honorary degree from Oxford in 1925. And then she finally was given a permanent position at Harvard, a faculty position, in 1938, right before she passed away. The second woman, Laura Redden Searing, American poet, reporter, and writer, she uh, had an illness as a child that made her deaf and attended the Missouri School for the Deaf, after which she became the er first and earliest deaf woman to be a journalist in 1960. She worked for the paper there in St. Louis that still runs today. In 1861, during the Civil War, she moved to D.C. and interviewed both General Ulysses S. Grant and President Lincoln, interviewed him on the battlefield, she traveled throughout Europe after the war and continued writing. She was a huge supporter for women's suffrage. Then there are three women who worked as combat reporters during the Vietnam War. Kate Webb, Catherine Leroy, and Frances Fitzgerald. These women paid their own way to the war. They arrived without jobs or safety nets and were not welcomed by their male colleagues. Kate Webb rose to be the bureau chief for United Press International in Cambodia. She was captured by the North Vietnamese and held for 23 days. Catherine Leroy was one of the very few female photographers in Vietnam. Her male colleagues threatened by her success because she had pioneered this photo style, refused to help her. Frances Fitzgerald, she won a Pulitzer Prize later. Her book is called Fire in the Lake. But war correspondents, most of them male, because that's who was there, claimed she wasn't qualified enough to write the book and didn't deserve the Pulitzer Prize. Now, has anybody heard of any of these women? No, I hadn't either. I would argue if they were men, they probably wouldn't have been forgotten so easily. But I mention them, mostly because I, I want you to know who they are, but also because I encountered a new interpretation of Ruth's story this week, and I want to share it with you. This is from Dr. Robert Williamson and Dr. Amy Robertson, who's a rabbi, uh, on the podcast Bible Worm. I listen to that every week as I prepare to preach. And they spent quite a bit of time this week discussing how close Ruth comes to being forgotten in her own story, how close she comes to being erased out of a book that is named for her. Now, I want to be really clear. I love the story of Ruth. If you were to ask me, I often list this as one of my favorite books in the Bible. 
I don't necessarily love this reading of Ruth almost being erased. It makes me uncomfortable. But that tells me that I need to pay attention to that interpretation. But first, before we dig into what all of that means, let's settle ourselves in the text. We have again zoomed forward from the Ten Commandments where we were last week. The book of Ruth is set in a period of the judges in Israelite history, which means that Israelite is led by a group of judges rather than a king. King will come later. There's a lot in the Bible about how that doesn't work out very well. But right now, this is a very tribal period. The story begins in Moab. It's east of Jerusalem in what is modern Jordan today. And Ruth, I didn't know this until this week, is often celebrated in Jewish circles as the first convert to Judaism, which is wonderful. But this is not a happy story. This is, in fact, quite a tragic story. It's much more subtle, but not dissimilar from the story of Job, if you're familiar with that one. And as Robertson and Williams, Williamson point out, and I found this very interesting, Job complains for 31 verses in the book about him. Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah just get on with things when their husbands die. Perhaps it's something inside women that makes us more capable of that. Perhaps, perhaps they just don't have time or the mental energy for their grief. Because what has happened to them, the death of their husbands, is devastating. It's particularly devastating for them as women, personally, romantically, and socioeconomically. With their men gone, they are no longer anchored to anything or anyone, even really each other. They're in a very vulnerable position, and we know from having read the Old Testament and the New Testament, concern for widows is something we can see throughout the biblical text. For Naomi, her family line is over. With her husband and sons gone and at her age, she is cut off. She is unmoored. She is no more in many ways. And in her grief, maybe in her desire to be with her own people, Naomi decides to return to her homeland, to Israel, to Bethlehem, we're told that they are from. And the famine there has ended, so the timing is good. Now, throughout the text, it is clear Naomi can't fathom the world without men. She tells Ruth and Orpah not to follow her for Moab because she cannot provide them with sons to marry. She doesn't see herself as being able to provide anything useful to Ruth or Orpah and more or less releases them from any expectations. She is basically saying, I'm not enough for you. Go find what you need somewhere else. Return to your mother's house. Find new husbands. Start a new life. Now, that line about returning to your mother's house is interesting. You might wonder, why mother's house? Throughout the biblical text, widows are usually thought of as the property of their father or a brother or uh, another male figure. But this is a very woman-centric text. And as uh, scholar Amy Jill Levine, who is herself Jewish but is a New Testament scholar, as she explains, 
The concept of the mother's house, that, that phrase, is found in other places in the Bible. Genesis 24, multiple times in the Song of Songs. And where it appears in the context of sexuality or marriage or a woman, it speaks to women who determine both their own destiny and that of others. When we see that phrase, mother's house, especially when it's mentioned to and about women, it speaks of women who determine both their own destiny and that of others. And yet, there are societal rules that Ruth and Orpah and Naomi must follow, which is why Ruth's beautiful, famous response to Naomi, urging her to remain in Moab, flies in the face of marriage, of family. Ruth seems to have a a different understanding of what a primary relationship can be and who they can be with. She commits herself to Naomi. It's also interesting, again, as Amy Jill Levine points out, Ruth assumes the closest physical position any woman takes with another woman in Scripture when she clings to Naomi. We don't see that anywhere else. So this is a totally different concept of family. Ruth's commitment to Naomi is a totally different concept of what love can be, of what commitment can be. This is a different power system that Ruth is engaging with. And the commitment Ruth is making isn't just, I'll be there for you. I care about you. The commitment she's making is, I will tie my fate to yours. The things that are important to you will become important to me. Your God will become my God. Now, that doesn't make any sense. And it breaks all sorts of societal rules. This is not how things are done. And in this way, Ruth's commitment is just so inspiring and beautiful. But this is also where we must stop and discuss Ruth being erased. (coughs) What I didn't mention before is that Moab, where the family had been living, was associated by the Israelites with hostility and sexual perversion. Deuteronomy 23 actually excludes the Moabite people from the assembly of God. So this is not a positive relationship between these two groups. And here we have this Moabite woman, Ruth, dedicating herself completely, wholly, in every possible way to her mother-in-law in this first chapter. And then by the end of the story, when she has remarried and had a child, it's only in childbirth that the Israelite women around her and around her mother-in-law acknowledge that Ruth really even exists and has any value. It's only in having a child that she then hands to Naomi that Ruth has a voice in this final chapter of her own story in chapter 4. And then after handing Obed over, Ruth is more or less not in the story. Now we could argue that Ruth chooses this. She chooses Naomi. She chooses to give her son to Naomi to be his nurse, to help replace the family line that was destroyed when her other children, when Naomi's other children died. She well could have remained part of Obed's life. We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. 
and how beautiful it is that Ruth will, is so willing to help her mother-in-law rebuild her life completely. And we don't know how Ruth felt. We aren't told of her feelings. We aren't told what her mental state is. But we shouldn't ignore the fact that a foreign woman gives up everything about herself in this story. Her home, her culture, her biological family, her God, if she had one before, to then only be treated as valuable in this new society when she has a child. We should wonder what pushes Ruth to make this choice. Is it something within herself or something within Naomi and Naomi's culture that makes this sort of getting along necessary? We can't look away. No matter the reason, no matter how comfortable this sort of reading makes us, we need to consider the question of an immigrant woman's erasure as part of this story. Because such erasures, such loss of personhood, such treatment of immigrants, new people in a new country, is still part of our culture today. I suggest that any time someone from another country is told, go back to where you came from, that's erasure. I suggest that any time people are told, speak English, that's erasure. I suggest that when foods from other countries are treated as weird or gross, out of hand, that's erasure. And when people of various heritage are asked, where are you from? And their answer, Monroe, isn't good enough, and prompts the question, yeah, but where are you really from? That's erasure. It's not the same as Ruth, but preferring that immigrants and those from foreign countries assimilate is still very much part of our society, and we need to be honest about that. Now, the good news is, if I have made you uncomfortable, none of what I just said changes the beauty of Ruth's choice or the importance of her actions. At its heart, her story is one of responding to God's call without a single bell or whistle. What Ruth teaches us is that you can, you can further the plan of God, not only by doing things that are flashy, but by doing things that aren't flashy and simply being committed to another person. We must not erase the commitment and calling of people who aren't flashy, particularly women, particularly minorities to whom this happens far too often. The other thing Ruth teaches us is that it is possible to be faithful, to buck societal expectations, to forge your own path and fix, choose your own power system without being strategic, without having a five-year plan. Ruth isn't strategic. She is not planning ahead. She is not even really thinking practically. She follows her heart. She loves big, and that love changes the world. Because remember, without Ruth, there is no David. And without David, there is no Jesus. Did you catch that part of the story? Ruth is David's great-grandmother. Friends, sometimes God's call is as simple as loving the people you are given to love 
It's not being flashy. It's not bells and whistles. It won't end world hunger or close the political divide. But such love of those right in front of you is good. It is valuable. It is worthwhile. And such love can change lives. Ruth's love changed the world. Thanks be to God.
As we come to this time of communion, we remember that this is the table of the heavenly feast, the joyful celebration of the people of God. Christ invites everyone to eat of the bread of life, to drink of the cup of the new covenant, for as Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Those who come to me shall never hunger, and those who believe in me shall never thirst. Friends, this is not my table, or Northminster's table. This is Christ's table. We are the guests, and Christ is the host. There is a seat here with your name on it, so kick off your walking shoes. Make yourself comfortable. We are on holy ground. All are wanted, and all are welcomed here with our doubts and our shortcomings, our failures and our griefs. No matter what you bring with you to this table, you aren't just tolerated. You are overwhelmingly welcomed and wanted. Thanks be to God for a love like that. And now if you would, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The night before Jesus died was a solemn time around the table. Because of his relentless pursuit of love, he would be seized by those in power. But before he was taken, Jesus introduced this meal to his followers. For even though he knew the end was coming, Jesus joined with those he loved. And as the night lengthened, he took a simple portion of bread. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, Remember me. And then after supper was over... Jesus picked up a cup. He filled it with wine and blessed it. And during his blessing of that cup, he reminded his friends that he would go to the ends of the earth out of love for them. Friends, he does the same for us. Thanks be to God.
shall I rise? Gotta lie down. How shall I rise? I gotta lie down. How shall I rise? Be before the judgment bar. I gotta lie down. How shall I rise? Gotta lie down. How shall I rise? I gotta lie down. How shall I rise? Peep before the judgment bar. Dark was the night and cold the ground on which my Lord was laid. Great drops of sweat like blood ran down in agony.
Friends, our blessings continue. Tiffany, I'm going to have you come up and stand up here with me while she's coming. I have to tell you, it took everything in me not to turn around and just watch Preston. That was glorious. Thank you. I could just hear the power behind me happening. Friends, this is Tiffany Smith. She comes today to join and be part of our family here at Northminster. I think many of you have met her. She's done a wonderful job of getting herself involved in the community. I normally have to help a little bit. I don't have to help her at all. She is here. She is involved. She is a wonderful new addition. We are thrilled that you have found us and that we uh, are a good fit for you. So if you all can affirm her joining and being a part of our family of faith, would you please say yes? Yes. I hope you heard how strong that was. Please come hug her neck and greet her when worship is over, and you can go back to your seat. Thank you so much. And now let us stand and sing our final hymn.
And now hear this benediction. May God bless you with a distaste for superficial worship so that you will live deep within your soul. May God bless you with anger at prejudice so that you will work for justice. May God bless you with tears for those who sorrow so that you will offer comfort. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world. Go be salty. Amen.